0: Welcome to your Truth Reveal video podcast, Sharing the Power of Self-Knowledge. I'm Erica Marcoux. Episode 6, Know Your Counselor is the second part of an interview with Sharon Bean. This interview describes how having a relationship with a counselor can help you overcome personal challenges and be empowered. All of season one helps you to be your own health expert as I interview industry professionals to explore your hidden mental and physical health potential. With us today is Sharon Bean, who has a master's degree in counseling from St. Edwards University in Austin. She is a licensed professional counselor with a private practice. She is trained in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, and EMDR, which is Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. She has also worked as a social worker in schools, foster care, and homeless outreach. And the primary reason I want to have this interview with you is to help change the conversation about mental health and primarily demystifying counseling. We need people to talk through things with
1: Mm -hmm. and to hear a different perspective because when we get in our own head and all those shoulds and should nots cloudy the water, then we aren't clear about what's really going on sometimes. The biggest part of the work I do as far as making movement are people who actually can experience that shift or that change in the
0: room with me. Yes. And that's where it happens. That's the magic. One of the key ingredients of that is trust.
1: Yes. Bottom line. Bottom line.
0: It's developing that kind of relationship with your counselor Mm -hmm. where you can trust and in some ways let down those guards Mm -hmm. and be able to actually move in a new direction. One of the biggest obstacles that we have as humans
1: is, uh, you know, we want to be accepted and known for who we are, Mm -hmm. just for being. But lots of things happen in our lives and in the world that we have to meet a certain standard. We're only valuable if, but the goal of therapy is to understand that we're valuable because we are Mm -hmm. and part of that process is what you're talking about with the trust and the attachment and the connection maybe you haven't ever had that experience Mm -hmm. in your relationships or maybe you've forgotten that that's the goal and so that's the bottom line is building that trust in that relationship so that you can have that Mm -hmm. connection
0: we're human beings yes And I see the being part as being primary. Yes. And connecting in that way is so healing. I agree. We're not human doings. We're not human doings. (laughs) Right. And I think it was Winnicott that said, be first, then do. I don't know if it was
1: Winnicott, but... I love mm-hmm. Winnicott.
0: He's yeah. he's the good enough mother
1: person. <laughs> the good enough
0: mother. <laughs> Can we explain to the audience what the good enough mother yes. is? So, uh,
1: Winnicott uh, did a lot of work with kids and understanding developmental stages, and what he says to get all the parents off the hook is that you do not have to be a perfect parent. We have a lot of that pressure today.
0: Mm-hmm. You just have to be good enough. Or even a perfect partner. No. Or it applies
1: a perfect to worker. everything. And you know <laughs> and I talk about it in a batting average. So if we're okay. up up to bat with whoever it is a hundred times, how many times do we have to get it right?
0: Eighty.
1: Most people would say that, right? I have to get it right, eighty percent. It's actually thirty percent. What? Thirty percent is good enough. And then the other 70% of the time, we need to learn to make repairs. And there's a lot of value in repairing Mm -hmm. and growing in that way. Mm -hmm. And it it feeds the being instead of the doing.
0: For someone who is listening to this podcast, and let's say, for example, is feeling anxious, Mm -hmm. how would they be able to determine if it would be best to first go to a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. or to go to a counselor?
1: That is a great question. So there's two kinds of anxiety, situational or biological, and it could be both. It just depends on the person. That is a great place to start with a therapist. If you go in and say, I, I'm having all of these struggles with my anxiety and and I don't know what to do w- with this, uh, then a therapist would work with you on strategies to manage the anxiety. They would help you determine if there's a, a stressor or something that has happened that might be causing it to be situational. So
0: some sort of situation in your life mm-hmm. that may be happening right. that is throwing you off balance. Right that could
1: be the problem. And once that abates, you don't have the anxiety. But if it doesn't, then you have to explore, You know, what is the family history? What is your personal history with anxiety? Maybe this is a biological condition that you need to address. And you could do that with some lifestyle things, supplements, vitamins, And or medication. And, you know, that's the time when you want to explore the option. Is medication going to be helpful for me? Mm -hmm. And that's when you would go to a psychiatrist, have an evaluation. Typically, your first appointment is going to be an hour long assessment to see what factors might be contributing. And they would let you know at that Mm -hmm. point if they think you're a candidate for medication and what their suggestions would be.
0: A lot of people don't even know if the anxiety is biological, Mm -hmm. it could show up as lack of sleep. Mm -hmm. It could show up as not being able to have an appetite, physical pain. There's so many symptoms that could manifest from a chemical imbalance. Absolutely.
1: And a lot of people who are off the charts, when I do the Mm GAD-7, which is a quiz, for anxiety symptoms generalized anxiety disorder with seven questions when i do that with them they're like i have all of that all the time they don't realize it's anxiety they think i've always had this or oh well you know it's just this one thing when we look at the whole picture they have all of it
0: and that begs the question what is normal Exactly. So, you know, if you've had anxiety your whole life and you that's don't know any different. That's right. And the alternative is that you could go and get help and yes. perhaps you've needed to be on medication your whole life. Also, perhaps. And what a difference that could make in the quality of life. Absolutely. And, you know, when I'm exploring family
1: history with someone, um, there's a whole history of family members who have Mm -hmm. all of these symptoms. So it would be reasonable to think that you could also have those symptoms and have anxiety. If someone in your family has a history of depression or anxiety, you have a 50% higher risk of developing it than someone who has no family history. I have a lot of people (laughs) who come in with family histories of substance addiction. And then when we talk about the behaviors and the things underlying it, what we uncover is that there's an untreated mood
0: disorder. And they're self-medicating. Always, yes. Well, another question I have for you is, can you explain what EMDR is and sure. and what that does? Yes, it's a
1: mouthful. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's EMDR for short because it's too much to pronounce every uh-huh. single time. <laughs> it was actually developed in the 80s by a, a lady named Francine Shapiro who mm-hmm. was treating people who were distressed and she learned that if she could get them to move their eyes while they were discussing the distress that it immediately brought the intensity down so she developed this entire protocol which we now call EMDR and i learned the protocol by using my fingers and making people move their eyes side to side but my arm gets really tired <laughs> so i have a device called a theratapper It has two paddles Mm -hmm. that vibrate in your hands and a tone. And so it syncs up both sides of your nervous system, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic at the same time. So the gas and the brakes, because what we're after is emotional regulation Mm -hmm. of the nervous system as
0: we process the story. I believe that I misunderstood it. I thought it was bilateral stimulation from the left and right hemisphere of the brain. But that's true too. Okay. Right? It's still bilateral. It crosses
1: the body because you're syncing up okay. all of the body at the same time. It's a whole body experience. Mm-hmm. And it's what we call top down and bottom up at the same time. So top down would be cognitive thinking, Mm -hmm. and bottom up would be feelings, somatic emotions, that kind of thing. So we're putting it all together to process whatever the disturbing issue is. We can use that for something that happened, a single event, like a car accident or something like that Mm -hmm. that caused some sort of trauma, trauma, uh right? If you have emotional disturbance that lasts more than three months, you qualify for PTSD diagnosis. Okay, That's actually chronic by the three-month mark. So if you have that and you want to deal with that, EMDR is one way to do that. But also we use it for something called developmental trauma. As we're growing up, we have encounters with people in our world. And in those encounters, we make decisions about the person, the event, and ourselves called self-concepts. They get cemented. They do, because you have this experiential piece that goes with whatever happened. We store those away, and we call those self-concepts. And so um, we all have positive and negative self-concepts about ourselves. Somebody who's had a history of a lot of negative experiences has a lot of negative self-concepts. Mm -hmm. And one of the main things that we work on in EMDR are those self-concepts because that interrupts our attachment ability. We can't attach to us, we can't attach to others, and we can't emotionally regulate when we're not able to do that.
0: So when a child, an adolescent, has developmental trauma, Mm -hmm. there's usually an accompanying attachment issue.
1: Yes. What do I mean by attachment? We are wired to be attached to people. That is a normal human function. We need it and we want it. And a mammal function. Yes, it is required to live. (laughs) Of all mammals. Survival (laughs) is based on attachment to people. Yes. When we're growing up, we're attached to our parents, our grandparents, our neighbors, whoever's in our world, or we're not appropriately attached, depending mm-hmm. on the situation. The attachment theory says we're either securely or insecurely attached based on our experiences.
0: And that is set up in childhood.
1: Yes, and okay. it can change mm-hmm. depending on experiences that we have as adults in mm-hmm. other relationships. So we can have a different attachment style in friendship, in spouse, at work, with family, depending on those experiences in the history of our experiences. When we're doing EMDR, we're accessing all of that because our experiences get stored in chains of like
0: incidents. Can you explain that even deeper, the the chains, the metaphor? I love the movie Inside Out. Yes.
1: It's a great illustration. They did a really good job on their neuroscience about how things get stored in our brain. Incidents get paired with emotions and sensory experiences, and it gets stored in our brain in a channel, in a bubble, let's Mm -hmm. say, like Mm -hmm. inside out. And so a similar experience, it might not be exactly the same, but it has a similar feeling or similar response. Mm -hmm. It gets stored with it. They get chained together when we go and do an EMDR session we are picking a topic that's happening right now usually because it seems less intense than something that might have happened Mm -hmm. that has a lot of issues around it. and that's
0: probably causing a disturbance in some kind we choose something that's happening in the now
1: it's uh, generally related to a theme Mm -hmm. a self-concept that has probably been permeating lots of things we work on that issue. We talk about the negative thinking. We talk about a specific episodes so we get a visual. We talk about the emotions. We name the emotions mm-hmm. that they're feeling in the moment because they're experiencing a similar feeling to what they felt before. And we talk about where they're feeling the emotion
0: in their body. I wanna underline that. <laughs> yes. Because emotions are a felt experience yes it's a physical experience and so so many people don't understand that that's what an emotion is it is and it's related to what you're thinking Mm -hmm. it's
1: related to what you're seeing and hearing and it's your whole body that's involved it's not just here and it's not just here we highlight all of that information trying to lower the intensity of any disturbance that we're Mm -hmm. feeling
0: so that you experience emotional regulation in the session. Do you as a counselor feel somewhat like a detective? Oh yeah I love that part where, about my job. Yes, <laughs> where you find where the links are, are going back to because it right. might be surprising to that client.
1: It often is because they don't link what's happening right now mm-hmm. to things that happened in the past a lot of people come in and go, I don't need to talk about the past. I've already dealt with the past. I'm done with the past. I'm like, great. We don't have to talk about the past because it's it's always present. That's right. We're just going to work on this thing that's happening right now. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not telling them what's happening. Mm -hmm. They're experiencing it internally. It's their own process, Mm -hmm. going through the emotion, making the connections. And if it is in fact linked and we touch the link with what we're working on it opens the whole chain mm-hmm. and it generalizes to whatever the problem was that originated
0: when that client experiences the original memory mm-hmm. that can be a physical experience
1: it can be and it can be very overstimulating for some people mm-hmm. depending on where they are in their process
0: and how do you handle that
1: right in your position Because i'm not interested in sending someone out more (laughs) upset than when they came in, if they feel overstimulated or it's too much, then we immediately stop the processing and go into relaxation and calming techniques Mm -hmm. so that they feel more grounded. And generally people who leave my office tell me that they feel very relaxed and that they need a nap after we've had an EMDR session. And that's what I'm looking for
0: because I don't want to make it more intense And that's the trust again, right? that you're creating a safe place Mm -hmm. to explore these links that go back to that original trauma or situation that wasn't so great and being able to heal it within that environment. Now that can take more than one session.
1: What we're doing in each session is we're just trying to bring the intensity down. And when they leave, processing still happens and they might come back and go, oh my God, gosh, I made these connections and now we need to talk about this because I didn't realize they were related.
0: And that's the aha moment. The skill and the education that you have, that you bring to the table and that you're using to help that client is so important. We as individuals are not able to do all that work on ourselves by ourselves. No, A lot of people, especially in the United States, are very independent Mm -hmm. and think that they can just handle it. Or that they should be able to. Or that they should be able There's that expectation. And that's not the reality.
1: It isn't. We're wired to be connected. We mirror emotions with Mm -hmm. other people. That's how we regulate as we're growing up. That's what our parents are for, Mm -hmm. to teach us how to manage those things or not. We need people. To talk through things with, mm-hmm. and to hear a different perspective, because when we get in our own head and all those shoulds and should nots, cloudy the water, then we aren't clear about what's really going on. Sometimes,
0: would you like to talk about the four different attachment styles? Sure. The attachments. One of my main. One of your things. things. One of my
1: main things. Yes. There's two kinds: mm-hmm. secure or insecure. Mm-hmm. There's lots of statistics out there that say the population is divided, half secure, half insecure. But that has not been my experience. In my work, uh, there's a lot more insecurely attached people than 50%. Really? Yes. But that's probably why they're coming to see me. Whenever we come in and I recognize that there's some attachment issue going on, and we talk about what attachment is, we need it that depending on how we experienced it growing up that informs what we think attachment is and what kind of relationship we choose
0: the importance of looking at your family of origin hugely important it sets
1: up subconscious patterns as humans we repeat patterns That's basically what we do um, unless we learn that that's not good for us and we want to change it. Lots of people grow up in a certain way. They think that's the normal way to grow up. They continue to parent that way and they find relationships where they fit in a similar style. Mm -hmm. And we do that on a very subconscious level. It's a felt experience. Mm -hmm. We say, oh, this person feels good, feels like a good connection. There's familiarity. What is the familiarity based on?
0: of origin based on our attachments
1: (laughs) if we didn't have very good attachments then we're not going to pick very good partners and even if we had a good attachment we could get someone who doesn't Mm -hmm. not know that that's what we're getting ourselves into and
0: so then that develops a new attachment style for you a lot of people want healthy relationships and oftentimes get into those subconscious patterns Mm. and don't know Even what a healthy relationship looks like or how they can experience that for themselves.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I do with clients is we talk about the difference between intensity and intimacy. Intensity is lots of feelings, lots of passion is the word that usually gets started. It's a telenovela. It is, (laughs) and and, uh, it's also full of drama and anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. right Uh, but if that's what you grew up with that's what you think Mm -hmm. relationships look like Uh, most people want intimacy they just don't know what that looks like or how Mm -hmm. to get there and sometimes i have a side-by-side list that i put up sometimes my clients say that does not exist what is that the the intimacy doesn't (laughs) exist
0: yeah what is that that you're writing there (laughs)
1: like this is the goal there's no perfection only progress and so if this intensity is not what you want then the goal is to get closer Mm -hmm. to this intimacy side which feels safe mutual respectful you can grow it's very Mm -hmm. constant and very stable and that's what everybody wants Whether they know it or not, (laughs) even if they don't know how to get there, Mm -hmm. they want to feel safe, known, and accepted in their relationship, and mutually respected.
0: And it's not just partnership relationships, Mm -mm. is it? I mean that that could be friendship. That could be the relationship you have with your own parent. Yes, your child. Absolutely. We are kind of learning as we go. We don't Mm -hmm. have a lot of
1: models to help us with our uh, emotional learning. We have to have some falls before we understand how to set boundaries and allow certain things in our life and not allow. So we've all had those intensity relationships in some way or another.
0: Even the person that you work for. Yeah, that's a lot (laughs) in work environments.
1: Really hard because of this emotional stuff that's going Mm -hmm. on, not because of the
0: work. Even in the workplace, it's it's relationships. I view everything from a relationship perspective. Anybody
1: that you're regularly coming into contact with. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, and part of that falling, Mm -hmm. having that experience where the relationship was more intensity versus intimacy. Sometimes those lines can be blurred and sometimes it's hard to know. It may be just experiential learning. We're learning what those red flags are. Hey, this isn't healthy for me, Right, and this is why, and I need to make this adjustment. I understand your connection to this person. Is that good for you? Just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's good for you.
1: You're not (laughs) going to change that person, Mm -hmm. right? You have to set boundaries that are good for you. You have to
0: respect yourself and have self-compassion. A huge part of what we're talking about now, but also just in the bigger picture of counseling is taking responsibility and knowing that as an adult, I'm responsible for my own well-being. You're responsible for your well-being and we do the best that we can and show up and keep learning and keep growing. So there are best practices when taking responsibility for yourself, finding a counselor. And step one is to think about who you're actually looking for. You want to
1: pick someone based on what you hear them saying in their advertising. Does that resonate with you? Does that seem like the direction that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. Does it feel like a good place to start?
0: So gathering referrals. If you have health insurance, call your health insurance and see who maybe is in network. Absolutely. And maybe choose three different people that you set up appointments with. Yes. Or at least talk to first. Or at least talk to on the phone. Mm -hmm. And see if there's that just natural connection, easy connection. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Pick more than one to contact.
1: Screen them first uh, look at their profile call them up get some information what is their philosophy or what is their modality and what is their educational background i'm a licensed professional counselor Mm. and i tend to do deep work there are certainly solution focused counselors out there who do short-term work and then there's also clinical social workers and there's licensed psychologists who also do therapy a lot of them do testing we talked about the psychiatrist being a medical doctor they're mostly going to be about medication the marriage and family therapist mostly going to be focused on marriage and family issues but they do individual
0: work too step three is to make the call and it takes courage oftentimes it does
1: it's it's very discombobulating mm-hmm. if you've never been to therapy before to tell someone your personal stuff
0: we also step four talked about asking questions if you
1: have a question you should ask and listen to the responses that you
0: get so that mm-hmm. you can compare and then lastly which we've talked a lot about is step five which is building that relationship and that takes
1: time, time. If you're going to do long-term stuff, it's going to take a while. And so you really need to be connected to someone you feel comfortable with.
0: Well, thank you so much for thank your time. You. Thank you so much for sharing this. I appreciate it's it. heartfelt for me. I just want to, again, close that gap between the misconceptions and I about love, what counseling is. I love that you're doing that. That yes. is very
1: important. Thank you.
0: Thank you. you. <laughs> Our feature product for this episode is the Neurobiologics Mood Plus Supplement. This carefully formulated combination of nutrients supports your overall nervous system and promotes a healthy stress response. Mood Plus can help boost your endorphin levels, bringing a greater sense of calm. Go to your slash store and use promo code TRUTH for a 20% discount. In response to this interview, I was asked, what is a counseling session like? The counseling session is really a place where you can find a new perspective about something you're struggling with. It's an opportunity for you to share your situation and your feelings about it and then get your counselor's perspective from a professional standpoint. You may even show up for a session with a particular goal in mind that the counselor can help you achieve. The key here is that the more you are honest with yourself and share openly, the more that the counselor can then help you. Oftentimes, the counselor will take notes to mark down something important that you said. Also, it helps your counselor to be able to remember and look back at those notes in future sessions. In your relationship with your counselor, it's important that you feel safe, heard and understood and accepted for whatever experience you have. It's a pretty different kind of conversation that you would typically have with most other people. Your counselor may even give you homework to do between sessions. And this may include taking action steps towards reaching your goal. Then in the next session, you may share what your progress has been or what problems you're still encountering. Know that every counselor is unique depending on their studies and the specific method they use to help you including just their personality. A counselor's main goal is to help you find solutions to your problems and help you feel better. Episode seven is titled, Know Your DNA, What's Ever Done. And you can trace back in time through a molecular clock, your ancestral pathway. So we know based on mutation rates and density of people, That's how we figured out all on mitochondria, the movement of women across the world. For more learning, download your free worksheet and join in the discussion. I encourage you to go to yourtruthrevealed.com. Also, please subscribe and add a rating and review at Your Truth Revealed on Apple iTunes. Thank you for listening. I'm Erica Marcoux in Austin, Texas.